So can I just brag on our community groups for a second before we even start talking? Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn there. But while you're getting there, let me just brag on our community groups. Um, we, a lot of you know this. Um, I'm not trying to call John out and embarrass him at all. But John had back surgery. And um, it was serious back surgery. And he's feeling phenomenal, right? He's feeling fantastic. Only downside to the to the surgery was that they told him he'd have to be out of work for, and they weren't even sure, like, what, six weeks, 12 weeks, had no way to know. And even if he'd have a job when he went back. Um, just want to let you know, like, over the last couple of weeks, we've had two community groups, and a lot of you have been a part of this, that had yard sales. Um, I don't know how yard sales go for you, but I know Wendy hates yard sales because that's when we pull out all the stuff that we've known we need to get rid of and it's a lot of work to get it out there, and then we make like 20 bucks, right? And then I'm the guy going, that does not go back in the house. And she's the wife saying, yes, it does, because I'm going to have another yard sale sometime. I'm like, no, you're not, right? So I don't, these numbers blow my mind, because, again, when we do yard sales, we get $20. So I think this is close. Over, the, over those two yard sales, I want to say it's a little over $1,000 that, um, we made over that time. And, and here's, this is a great plug for community groups because all of you are like, I'm joining a community group. They're going to sell stuff and give me money. It's going to be fantastic. This is how community works, okay? Nobody in the church, they, they didn't come to me and say, hey, you're the pastor. We need help. Um, we didn't tell the community groups to do that. These are just people that are nuts about John and Brandy crazy about John and Brandy. And so when they found out that, that they had a need, they just went, hey, you got a need. We got junk we don't need. So let's just sell it and give them some money, help them out. And I'm just letting you know that, one, that's a good reason to be in community group. Okay? Hopefully you never face 12 weeks with no work. But you'll face something, and it's good to not be alone when that happens, right? Um, and, and, and that's just why it's good to be known by people. It's good to be known by people. And I love the fact that I get to pastor a church where I hear about this stuff, not like can we. They just go, hey, guess what? We had a yard sale. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. It's fantastic. So anyway, we love you guys, and I'm glad it went well. And um, if anybody wants to have a yard sale for me, you know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> okay. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Now, I have shared this story um, a couple of different places, and I always try to do it tastefully, if at all possible. Um, this is something that happened to me. In the summer of 1983, I was a rising high school senior, and I was madly in lust with this awesome girl. Lust with this awesome girl. And um, life was fantastic. So here's what happens. I go to summer camp, and at summer camp, I meet Jesus. All right. Now, I met a, I was raised in church. A lot of you weren't, but I was raised in church. So I knew about Jesus, right? But here's, I didn't meet this dress-wearing Jesus, right? The weird dude. Um, have you seen the Jesus picture that Olin Mills took? You know, he's like, he's got the long hair with the halo, and his head's like awkward like that, and he's smiling. I didn't meet that Jesus. I, I, I didn't meet a distant fable. I, I didn't meet somebody that was about archaic stories. Here's who I met. At camp, I met a real Savior who entered a real world in a real way to save real people. That's the Jesus I met at summer camp, 1983. I'm a rising senior. And I'm in a relationship with a girl. And it's all about lust. 
and that's cool until you met Jesus at summer camp. So this is a true story, okay? I'll be as tasteful as I can. I come back from camp, and I'm thinking, well, I gotta, I gotta tell, you know, I gotta tell her like I met Jesus. And so I called her up on the phone. And I said, hey, hey, babe, um, can I come over to the house and can we talk? And she's like, bring it, cause look at me, right? So I went over. <laughs> it's like Paul. You said you'd be tasteful, man. You're making me want to throw up in my mouth. Um, so I go over to her house, and we're just kind of sitting, and we're talking. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I hope it hasn't. But as we were talking, we, I'm trying to tell her about Jesus, and that I met Jesus, and I'm a Christian. And she was so excited for me, so she gave me a hug, and then she gave me a kiss. And before long, we're right back into the stuff that we were into before. And in the middle of that, I'm just trying to paint a picture without being too graphic. In the middle of that... She looks at me and says these words. I've never forgotten them. They are burned in my brain. She looks at me and she says, in the middle of that, I thought Christians didn't do this. Now, that maybe has never happened to you. Let's hope not. But I can guarantee you this. You have heard the words or have said the words, I thought you were a Christian. Wendy grew up in a, in a home where her dad was not a, a Christian. And so when she accepted Jesus at 16, she's trying to live for the Lord. And the first mistake she makes, anytime she makes a mistake, what's the first thing she hears from her dad? And I thought you were a Christian. You've heard that? Possibly you said that to somebody at some point. Whether we like it or not, and it's okay, again, it's okay if you don't like it. If you weren't here last week... Um, you don't know this, but if you were here last week, what's the word that we want to say in our head? Grace. Because what we said last week was this. We've kind of entered this part of Ephesians where Paul is starting to get really up in our face about some stuff. And you're going to start hearing things and you're going to be like, I don't know if I like that. And I'm telling you as your pastor, it's okay not to like it because I don't like it either. But it's still in the Bible. We still have to wrestle with it. And we still have to kind of hear it and go, uh, on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being I suck and 10 being I'm fantastic, I'm like a minus 3. It's okay to it's okay, say that. It's all right. I'm giving you freedom. And if you're in Christ, and that's who Ephesians is written to, people who are in Christ, then you're forgiven. Then you're loved. Then you're accepted by God. We've read all that in the first three chapters of this book. And so there is grace for moments like that. But not the kind of grace that says, hey, just do what you want, but the grace that says, I'm convicted, but I want to be better. Last week we talked about there's an old way, and it was bad. There's a new way, and it's good. And the way to the new way, the way to the new way, <laughs> cool, is Jesus. Not trying harder, not doing better, not looking better, but Jesus, okay? So you've got to keep that in the back of your head, right? Because here's what Paul's going to do today. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 25 through 32. Today, Paul's going to go into some more detail about the things that we should be taking off and the things that we should be putting on. He's basically going to be talking about fashion today. I brought some pictures. I thought this would maybe kind of prime the pump a little bit. Some bad fashion. Uh, we'll just kind of take our time going through this. Nothing screams pimp like that hat, right? It's bad fashion. 
Um, before we move on from that, does anybody here own that sweater? Because that's just sick, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Um, just quick vote. Just a quick vote. How many think that this person is not a man? Yeah. Because real, real men don't wear crocheted whatever that is. Okay. A couple more. <laughs> it's like, who wears accordion pants, right? Um, now, this is terrible. I know this is terrible, but I found this online, and I thought I had to show it, because this is just bad fashion, right? Like, if you're, if you're the person taking the picture, I mean, it's good that they took the picture because we can enjoy it now, right? But what they should have said was, you forgot to do something this morning, and it was like, get dressed, like, go home, change. And don't buy anything that you're looking at right now. Okay? Bad fashion. Bad fashion. Here's, the, here's what I want you to get today. God's not into bad fashion. God wants us to look our best. So God is the God. Thank goodness. We talk a lot about the American Idol. We don't want bad American Idol stories. He's the God that will stop us and say, whoa, oh, hold on. Hold on. Those are two different shades of blue. They do not look good. You need to throw off the Carolina blue, the Duke blue, put on some state red, right? He will stop you at the door and say, whoa, what are you thinking? You are not going out in public looking like that. And I'm glad for people like that in my life. I don't know if you have people like that. They're called wives. It's good. I find myself saying to Wendy a lot, like, it's looking okay. And she's like, it's, it's the best you can do. Go with it, right? <laughs> no, I'm talking about my clothes, my clothes. <laughs> it's good to have people. I'm not the fashion king. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I got to spend last week in, let's see, in two days I was in Charlotte, Greensboro, Hickory, and Franklin talking about church planning. And I got to share the story of the gathering. It was fantastic. And I told him what we kind of learned as a gathering. Like, I, I kind of wish I was in Charlotte sometimes. I kind of wish I was in a bigger city. I kind of want to be a rock star, but I'm not sure I'd look good in skinny jeans. I'm rocking the saggy jeans, though, right? I'm looking good with saggy jeans. So I'm not the best at fashion. But I serve a God who wants me to look my best. Just pay, take a peek at the person next to you. Just a little up and down. Look at what they're wearing, right? He wants them to look their best. He wants us to look our best. So here's what Paul's going to do in these next few verses. He's going to give us some fashion tips. He's going to tell us some things that we should not wear and some things that we should wear. And you're not going to remember any of it. So let's talk about the big idea. Let's burn this into our brain, and then you don't have to listen anymore. That's the way it works here, right? I know you guys. I know you won't remember half of what I say, so I'm giving you the big idea right now. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. As Christ followers, this is at the top of your sheet if you got one. You want to fill these blanks in. As Christ followers, our fashion should match our passion. Our fashion should match our passion. I love that. I heard that little low murmur like, ooh. Not because it's deep. You're just like, the dude found a word that rhymes with fashion. How awesome is that? Our fashion should match our passion. So here are five really good fashion tips for the Christ follower. Let's read them real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20, starting in verse 25. Therefore, 
Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for you're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to, to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So here we go. Fashion tip number one. Take off lies, put on truth. Take off lies, put on truth. Um, Paul's just made it um, very clear that there's not any room for falsehood in the body of Christ. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about speaking the truth in love, that that was one of the ways that God helps us to grow up. We typically don't grow up if people lie to us, right? Oh, that looks great. You should definitely go stand on a platform in front of public wearing that. That doesn't help us grow up. Growing up is uh, nothing work, go back and try again. Let's find something that works. Let's find something that matches. There's no room in the body of Christ for falsehood. So Paul starts to put some meat on this new body. We've talked about this. We're a new body. He starts to put this meat on there. And he says, look, let's start with this. Take off lies. Put on truth. And here's why truth is such a big deal. Here's a bunch of verses for you to write down if you want to. Because number one, James 1.17 says that God, the Father, is truth. Now, it doesn't actually have the word truth in there, but it says that God doesn't, there's no changing. There's no turning with God. He is constant. We sang it this morning. He's constant. He's sovereign. He is truth. God says something, you can count on it. So God the Father is the God of truth. John 14, 16 says that God the Son is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 16, 13 says that God the Holy Spirit is truth, and he leads us into all truth. So basically what we just learned in three verses is that God is a God of truth. If that's not enough proof, just jot down John 8, 44, which says that Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. So like here you got God, truth, Satan, lies. No doubt about it why Paul would write to new believers and say this. Listen, there was an old way, it was bad, there's a new way, and it's good, and you need to dress for success. You need to dress to look the part of who you are. And so what we're going to do is, that's a ratty old coat of lies, we're going to take that off, throw it over there, and we're going to put on truth, because that's who you are now. It's a big deal. We operate in truth with one another, definitely, but we also need to be marked by truth with others who are not Christ followers. Let me ask you this question. Are you a man or a woman of your word? Grace, 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 grace. Can you be trusted? Grace, grace. Like I'm preparing this sermon, I'm thinking of all the phone calls I've not returned. Can we be trusted? Are we men and women of truth? If not, there's no weight to the testimony. That we give about the truth. So number two. Let's take off sinful anger. And put on reconciliation. 
I love where it says, in your anger, do not sin. That's the verse that we typically like to use to justify our anger, right? Everybody else, when they get mad, is sinning. But when we get mad, it's because we have, it's a good reason to. Like, you know, your spouse looks at you and goes, hey, look, would you like, quit sinning with this anger? And you're like, hey, whoa, 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 ho, 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 hey. Jesus got mad. He didn't sin. And Ephesians says, I can too. Okay, it's possible to be angry and not sin, but not probable. Most of us, when we get angry, are going to sin. Not even because we're angry, more because, and I think this is important, of how long we hold on to the anger. So here's what Paul does in this passage. He puts a time limit on it. He says, how about by the end of the day, deal with it. Go to sleep with a closed account, and you don't wake up in the morning with a big festering pile of resentment. Have you ever woken up mad? It's really quiet, isn't it? Because you're thinking about, how can I throw things at Pastor Paul and be angry but not sin? <laughs> this is, I mean, this one hits home, right? This one hits home because we, we often wake up in the morning. Think about this. When the Bible says that the mercy of God is new, we wake up thinking about old stuff. We wake up with an ulcer because we're mad about yesterday the day before, last week. When what Paul's saying, it sounds so like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And you're like, okay, so like, does he, does he mean that metaphorically? I think what he means is, like, if you're going to sit on your son's bed and pray with him, don't pray and be mad at him. It actually means, like, talk to him. Talk to your spouse. That six inches between you and your wife that feels like six miles because you're mad at each other. You're not supposed to go to sleep like that. I mean, in the Greek, that's what this means. It means bozo, open your mouth and talk. Like, work that out. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Most of us, more than likely, would never hold a grudge as long as the Hatfield and McCoys, right? But, if we aren't dealing with things quickly, we do run the risk of letting this root of bitterness grow in our lives. I found this um, proof positive. This is true. There's a man named Matthew Munchow. Have you ever heard of him? Matthew Munchow? Okay, this is a true story. He was in the Milwaukee Centennial. He was a, lived in Milwaukee. He's your average Milwaukee because he makes a habit of keeping a detailed mental checklist of every single person who's ever wronged him. We're not sure, this is what it said in the story, we're not sure what exactly the final straw was. All we know is that one day in 2003, Munchow decided it was well time to pay back some of the people on his decade-long grudge list. So he grabbed his fluorescent spray paint, I'm liking where this is going, he headed to the first address on his list and proceeded to cover the house with obscenities, threats, and taunts. So what did this person do to deserve having his house vandalized? Munchow blamed the 75-year-old owner of the house for getting him fired from a bad supermarket job 10 years earlier. Munchow wasn't done. Next, he found the house of a man who had intervened in a fight that Munchow was having with a girl in the parking lot five years earlier. He not only spray-painted the house, he also dumped all the potted plants into the hot tub. 
After he finished his angry dump, he paused just long enough to slash a few tires before moving on. At the third house, he ran out of spray paint. So he switched to paint stripper, which he dumped all over the cars parked in or around the house. All because Munchau believed that person had cut him off in traffic. So, 10 years of keeping a list versus what God would recommend, not letting the sun go down on your anger. All I can think is, God's plan, while it might be a little tougher at night, you might lose a little bit of sleep because you're having a conversation when you want to be sleeping. God's plan is not going to land you in jail. And I think that's a plus. I don't know about y'all. Maybe I'm simple-minded, but I'd like to not go to jail. So let's do this, and then we'll move on from this second point, because we love to wear anger. We are an angry society. Can we just do this, and at least, if you're not a Christian, you, you just check out right here, but at least those of you that are following Jesus, can we stop spiritualizing our silence? Well, I would say something, but I'm trying to be godly. Now, you're a wimp. That's what you are. That's what I am. When there's something to be dealt with and we're not willing to have the conversation, we're not being godly. We're not being spiritual. We're giving the devil a foothold. That's what happens. And and I didn't write that, (laughs) thankfully. You can be mad at God about that one. When we deal with things before the sun sets... There isn't time for stuff to grow out of proportion. It ensures that we don't wake up angry. It ensures that we wake up with peace. And that's a good thing. Number three. Everybody say, whew, we're done with anger. Thank goodness. I was starting to get mad. (laughs) Number three. We want to take off stealing and put on generosity. Now, right away, you're thinking, I'm glad we're talking about this one because I've got this, man. I don't steal at all. Okay? Now, Paul wrote this. Um, to people who literally had been professional thieves before they got saved. So he's writing to people that that's all they did was take, 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 take. Most of us in here, I'm pretty sure, are not professional thieves. But all of us in here live in America, right? And this is a culture that's all about kind of taking what's mine. And Paul says, look, that stinginess, that selfishness, stealing, that's not what a Christian looks like. So let's take that off, and let's put on generosity. And before we even talk about what that means, I want to clarify something, because I watch Fox News, and probably some of you do too. A lot of us are going to hate this one, because this is going to start to sound like socialism for us. Right? Paul says, hey, stop stealing. He says, work with your own hands that you may have something to share with those in need. So we, right away we go, whoa, 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 hold on. God, I'm the one with the job. I'm working hard. And I don't want to take what I've got and have it given to somebody else who's just sitting at home playing video games. Right? But this is not about socialism. Socialism, a third party reaches in and takes from one to give to another. There's absolutely no choice. But in Christianity, here's the difference. We willingly give what we've earned to somebody in need. Big difference. It's what they need. Not what they want. Not because they were lazy. 
Um, jot, this, jot this verse down, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It's a great verse. For all men in their 30s living with their moms. If a man won't eat, if a man won't work, he won't eat. Move from that one quickly, right? If a man won't work, he won't eat. So I love that Paul wrote that in 2 Thessalonians. Here's why. Because it just proves to us that without a shadow of a doubt, God's not saying, hey, look, just sit at home and be lazy. And what I'll do is I'll make sure somebody from Ephesus starts working and they'll give you some money. No, no, God's like, dude, you're a man, you got hands, go work. Go work. Don't be lazy. Be diligent. And here's why you're going to work. You're going to work so that when somebody has a need, a real need, when somebody isn't working, can't work, wants to work but can't, you've got something to share. And that's generosity. That's all that is, is generosity. I've got, I've got more than I need right now, and I want to share with somebody who needs it. Generosity looks so good on Christians. God's serious about people being responsible. He's more serious about people being generous. Before we move to number four, um, Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve. So if the church, it's hard to hear this and say this, but if the church is marked by stinginess, do you understand why the world would look at the church and go, I'm not sure what you have is real? Because we say we're following a Savior who gave it all away, and we're putting it all in our pocket. Paul says, man, if you're a Christ follower, be marked by generosity. Number four. You're going to hate this one. I'm sorry. But Paul wrote it. Take off hurtful words and put on helpful words. Paul says in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Um, let's talk about words real quick, and then I'll give you a great example of how I fail. Do you like those examples? Do you, I can be better. I can show you, tell you I can lie. I'd rather show you how I am real. Um, a couple of verses. Here's why words are so important. Matthew 12, 36. If you've never read this verse after today, you're going to hate this, this verse. Jesus said that we will be held accountable for every careless word we've spoken. Dude. I mean, how many careless words do you speak in a day? I don't, who knows? Because they're careless. We just say them, right? We just don't think about it. But that verse says, Jesus said that every man will give an account for every careless word. Like we're going to stand before God someday, and God's going to hit play, and we're going to hear all the careless words we said, and we're going to be like, I don't think I said that. I don't, pretty sure that wasn't me. Um, God, I think that's somebody else that sounds like me. Like somebody's a ventriloquist playing a joke on me. I'm sure I didn't say that. I don't remember saying that. He's like, careless word, careless word, careless word. That, that verse right there scares me. It scares me. Because I feel like I'm the king of careless words. Proverbs 18:21. Not only are they powerful, they're powerful because they have death or life in them. Now, 
we could do a whole teaching on what that means, right? Because there's lots of variations in the, in the church about, you know, like how much power do I have if I if I look at, you know, Laura and say, fall over and die. Is she going to fall over and die? I don't know. But I'm pretty sure I know this, that if I looked at my sister and said, fall over and die, those aren't helpful words. I don't think. Y'all seem very quiet. I'm scared that you don't get that concept, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> on the inside of my sister, now she's going, wow, he wants me dead? Do you see what I'm saying? We have the power of life and death in our tongues. I mean, I don't want to make parents feel worse than we already do, because I lay in bed at night, and I'm just like, God, please. My, my prayers become so simple, like, don't make my kids go bankrupt needing counseling because of me, you know? It's so easy to say something and then realize, oh, man, that was hurtful. That was not helpful. Oh, that's great. I'm preaching to perfect parents. That's fantastic. Move on. <laughs> you all know people in your lives that um, struggle with how they see themselves. And if you dug into their past, you would find that they probably had a parent Two parents, a teacher, somebody that told them things like this, you'll never amount to anything. That is the power of life and death in the tongue. Okay? Proverbs 12, 18. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Can we just say this, that rash words are like getting stabbed. So the next time that you're speaking reckless words of anger to somebody... If you could just picture in your head that you're doing this to them. Like, that's what that means. It sounds so beautiful up on there because it's the Bible. But that's what it means. Like, I'm stabbing you with a knife. You dirty, rotten scoundrel. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh. So um, I've shared this with some people before. This is my, not my father of the year moment. But when Parker and Will were much younger, and um, I think I don't, maybe like kindergarten or first grade, they had to learn a verse every week at Park Ridge. It's part of what they did. You have to memorize a verse. It's in King James, which is tough for me because I don't read King James. If you're a King James only person, that's cool for you, but I just I don't understand it. So I read you know anything else. But they're learning this one verse, and it was, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your whole household. See, I learned it, all right, because they had to learn it. And we're driving into school, so I'm in my Ford Explorer. We're just kind of cruising. We're right there by the old water plant on 52, and I just, I, I knew that Parker probably knew it, and I knew that Will probably didn't, because Parker just, you know, you got kids, some kids are like, they're all about school, and some are like, you know, I don't really like school, so we tell them all the time, Parker, you're going to make good grades. Will, you're going to be a billionaire, because that's how it usually works out, right? Like, Will's going to stumble on something and be a billionaire, So, because um, he's a hard worker. He just doesn't like school. So memorization comes easy for Parker. It doesn't come easy for Will. So what I did in the car, because I'm a brilliant parent, is I said to myself all up in my head, I'm like, okay, here's what I'll do. I'm going to ask Parker to say his verse, and Parker's going to say it, and that's going to help Will hear it, and then Will's going to say it. And so I asked Parker, and Parker's like, fling, he says it, right? It just pops right out. Brilliant. Angels are cheering, whatever. 
And then I turned to Will and said, how about you, Will? Now, granted, I'm driving the car, and Parker's in the car seat behind me, and Will's in the car seat over here. And I'm driving the car, and I'm like, okay, go, Will. You say it for me. And he just silenced, total silence. So now in my head, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, your brother just said it. I mean, at least the first word, dude, say something. I mean, it's all up in my head, right? Because, you know, good parents don't say this out loud. You just think it as if somehow that's not worse. But anyway, whatever. So I'm driving, and he's like, it's total silence, crickets, the whole thing. And I'm like, um, Will, the verse. Could you say the verse, please? Uh, and I went, believe? And he went, believe? I went, Will, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you should be saved, you and your whole household. Okay, ready, go. Believe. I mean, it's like two or three times of this. And in my greatest moment as a parent, driving down Highway 52, I turned around and screamed a Bible verse about salvation to my kindergartner or first grade kid. I literally did this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. <laughs> and now in my head, I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to hell. <laughs> oh, God, what have I done? And so immediately, it's hard to believe I could still drive because I was that big. But I pulled the car over and I parked it. And I got out at the gas station and I walked around and I opened up my son's door and he's just bawling his eyes out, and I'm bawling my eyes out, and I'm snotting everywhere, and I'm just like, woe is me, I'm a wretched man. And I'm quoting Bible verses from the King James all over the place. And, I'm, and I hugged him, and I'm like, dude, I was like, Will, I, I love you. God, please forgive me. What a horrible father. And, of course, I'm thinking, God, please don't make him go bankrupt needing counseling because I'm his dad. Th these are hurtful words. Do you see what I'm saying? And they come up out of nowhere. Ah, are we so we think. They come from our heart. That's what the Bible says. That out of the heart, the man's mouth speaks. Hurtful words. Paul says this. <laughs> if, if I could just be the example for you. Isn't it better to learn from somebody else's mistakes? Because right now you're thinking, I thought I was bad, but I'm good. Right? Because my pastor's going to hell. So... Here's what, here's what we learn. If Paul, the Apostle Paul, could just appear right here, he would look at me. He wouldn't even worry about y'all. He's got enough of his hands full with me. And he would look at me and he'd say, listen, Paul, like as one Paul to another, you do understand like what you yelled at your kid? When the world sees Christians like that, it's hard for them to believe in Jesus. So what I want you to do is, I know you feel horrible, Paul. I know, like, you, I mean, condemn the whole thing. I can hear it in your head. I want you to take that off. Can we just take off that coat of hurtful words? And here, I got something else for you to try on here. Slip into this. Doesn't that feel better? Helpful words. Try, try that, Paul. It, it just looks better. What Paul's saying here is simply this. A mark of a Christ follower is the ability to discern the right words 
for the right time. Only what is helpful for building others up, the right words according to their needs, the right time. You can see, we say this all the time, how community, you see community in that? How do you know what to say to somebody? You know them. Like, that's the good and the bad of being married, isn't it? Like, we, it's easy just to say what we want to say, but we don't take the time to think about how they would hear it. Um, I think Gary Smalley calls this the five love languages. Well, I know what one love language isn't, screaming Bible verses at people. That's one that's not a love language at all. But when you know how they hear it, when you know how they receive it, you're able to discern the right words in the right time and say them in the right way so that they're helpful. Take off hurtful words. Put on helpful words. Number five, take off hostility and put on humility. So um, Paul, you know, most preachers, here's what we try to do. We try to say the truth. We try to say it in a good way. Make sure you understand it. But somewhere towards the end of the message, we try to come up with a good funny story, right? We want to kind of pull you back in because some of you are still, you're mad. And you're like, I'm so glad that you yelled at your kid because that gives me a little bit of an out. But I'm still kind of stuck back on that anger thing. And I don't know if I like this. It doesn't feel good. But I know Paul. He's going to come up with a big, great ending, a good story. We're going to laugh. And then we're going to go eat. Well, this Paul, like the real Paul, he didn't work that way. He built it to the end, and while he had him on the ropes, he was like, and bam, bam, bam. He like just laid it on him. And here's what it was. Here's, here's what he says. At the very end of all this, he told him all this stuff, and in verse 31 he says, and get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Wow. It's like I can't even breathe now, right? Get rid of literally means have nothing to do with so, th- this is stuff that's more worthy of the trash can than a believer's life. And if we took all of those words, you just kind of, when you read them, it's like you can feel like it's just, ugh, those are not good words. If you just rolled them all up into one and said one word to describe all that, wouldn't it be hostility? I mean, are we marked by hostility? When people think about you, do they think hostile like that dude is full of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander malice and here's if that's if that's you and you're a believer i'm trying to be as practical as i can be but when you take a card and invite them to go hear Reinhard Bonnke they're not going when you hand them, we have cards today and for the next few weeks, some invite cards for Easter. Easter's going to be amazing, by the way. We're going to do baptisms. We're going to watch kids do stuff on the stage. We're going to talk about how we win because Jesus won. Oh, it's going to be a great day. When you hand people an invite card to Easter, if, if this is what marks your life, they're taking the card going, why don't you go? I think you need this. When I was youth pastor and I would go eat lunch with kids on campus and they'd get really quiet and they wouldn't want to introduce me to their friends, I thought it was because I was like the weird old dude at the school, which it could have been or as possible. But what I learned was they were, they were living a life that was so opposite at school of what they said to me on Sunday that they didn't want their friends to know they had a youth pastor. Man, when we're like hiding in the shadows to hide who we really are, I'm not saying you're doing that, but if that's marking our lives, we're not going to be effective in telling the world about Jesus. 
That stuff doesn't look good on a Christian. But these do look good on a Christian. Verse 32, kindness, compassion, forgiveness. These are the fruits of humility. This is a person who knows he's been forgiven. And when you put on humility, when I put on humility, when we forgive others the way that we've been forgiven, here's what we'll find in your life. And this is a great way to live. You will find it is a lot easier to extend to others what Jesus extended to you. And I love that. So let's wrap this up. Sometimes, um, like we said this last week, we, we kind of think, okay, so what you're saying, Paul, is I need to stop doing the bad and start doing the good. All right? That's kind of how we hear it. That's, you know, Southern, Southern Christianity, right? That's, then that's when we do the bobblehead thing from last week, right? We think we have to stop doing that and we have to start doing this. And why is that horrible? Why is that never going to work? I'm asking like a Q&A. I'll just go ahead and tell you the answer. The reason it's not going to, because if you could just stop doing it, you would have, right? I mean, nobody really, I don't think, I could be wrong, nobody really has a life goal to be the most bitter possible. I just want to grow up and be a bitter, bitter man. Now, I've heard, I heard a professional football player for the Dallas Cowboys. Somebody asked him, what do you want to do when you retire? And he said, I just want to be a big, fat man on the front porch. Which I thought, well, that's, yeah, that's your goal. Fantastic. But nobody says, I want to be the, the most bitter man possible. I want to be full of rage and anger and malice. I want to be the guy that when kids just drive by my house, they're freaking out because they think I'm going to kill them. Nobody has that as a life goal. So if we could just stop doing these things, wouldn't we have already done that? We found that out last week. The only way to do that is through Jesus. We feel this pressure to try harder, to stop bad habits. This isn't about getting rid of things that are bad. This is about getting, things of, getting rid of things that are in the way. I found um, this illustration from Ray Steadman. Um, he was a pastor in California for a lot of years. I'm going to throw some names out, and if you don't know who they are, it's okay, but this is just kind of help the, the, um, the more mature, older believers here. You ever heard of a guy named Chuck Swindoll? Yeah, Chuck Swindoll is a pretty solid Christian, right? He was Ray Steadman's intern. Okay, so Ray Steadman, like when we talk about what he said, this is a voice we can trust. And here's how he described putting off the old man and putting on the new man. I love the way he says it. He said this, putting off the old man is like squeezing the water out of a half-drowned man's lungs. Now listen to what he says. You don't do that because you want his lungs to be empty. You do it because you want his lungs to be filled with the air so he can live. What the scripture reveals to us is that this old life of ours, this old man, the self, has been choking us and killing us. It has been cutting off the breath which we were designed to breathe. The only air we were designed to breathe is God. So I like to think of it like this. We are new creations. We're a new creature. So we got all these new things that we talked about. We're not hostile. We're humble. We're not angry. We are reconcilers. We are these things. We don't have to, I mean, I know he says put them on, but they are ours. We have these in Christ. And when you take off the old man, all you're doing is revealing who you already are in Christ. You don't have to walk out of here with a checklist. 
Oh, God, don't yell at people. Don't steal on my taxes. Leave a better tip. You know, I mean, like we walk out with this checklist, and we, we might do all those things, but this is not a sermon that says you have to do these things. It's more like, man, just take off the, the weight and the bondage of these, these clothes that are too small for you. They do not fit you. They don't look good on us as believers. We've outgrown them. Let's take them off. And when we do, who we already are starts to show. You don't have to work hard to be humble. If you're a Christian, guess what? You're humble. You just got to take off the hostility so that people can see it. Here's some things I want you to remember. Just some things just to drive home. Ephesians drives home the fact that we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Fact. We are new creations. That allows us to see the old nature like an outfit that doesn't fit anymore. You're not losing anything by taking it off. You're allowing other people to see who Jesus has made you. So what that does is it allows our fashion to match our passion, right? And when people see that, the world is drawn to a Savior. (laughs) And here's why. Because when our fashion matches our passion... When the people that really know you see that, here's what they're thinking. Dang. If God can make that jerk good, I'd like to know that Savior. That's why your life becomes your greatest testimony tool. Because you were this, and now you have put on this. You are these things. And when the world sees that change... They want to know about Jesus. And that is worth changing your clothes for.